0: When you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a licking, and... there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this
1: far. OTRR! Say that you're afraid you'll have it. Because you knew there's always things you can do. People
0: drink a super sauce and throw so the bag of all Loss, and people bring them in alive and kicking. There was one thing you should learn when there was no one else to turn you bring. Oh. <laughs>
2: Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of Fiverr and Molly. Oh, and by the way, this month in October is my birthday. I will be, wow, I can't believe this. I will be 72. Go figure. Anyway, this episode of Fiverr and Molly comes from 1947, from January 28th. And Fibber and Molly are waiting for a bus. Now, for those of you that travel by bus, I know after a while you kind of get used to traveling around. And you kind of know the bus routes and you kind of know what times the bus will show up. But in Fibber and Molly's day, you didn't have a clue. And whatever they gave you for information, you had to decipher pretty much on your own, because it was kind of confusing. And the reason why it was confusing was it was kind of printed out in code. And you had to understand what the code meant, which is... And and it it, it was just confusing. You just... You couldn't make heads or tails of it. And the letters were all so close together, you weren't really sure what time is what. And it was just... Generally just confusing all you just kind of threw the, the bus thing information away. <laughs> so anyway, so especially when you know you're waiting for a bus and you see eleven thousand buses going in the opposite direction, but no bus is coming in the direction you want to go in. And that is what Fibber and Molly are finding out when you listen to this Fibber and Molly. And after that is our Miss Brooks from nineteen fifty three, december twenty seventh. Miss Brooks decides to write an article about a hobo. And she's latched on to a hobo to write about. Let's see how this works out. And it's all for fifty bucks. Let's see if she if this works out for her. And then you bet your life, from 1951, April 25th, the secret word is WALL, W-A-L-L. So enjoy all of these. Oh, 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 and the other thing too is that I, for my own birthday, I got myself a new set of headphones and microphone. How does it sound? I I really can't tell. Anyway, let me know. And I'll see you all back here next week. I'm willing, the creekstone rise. The Johnson Wax
3: Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Have you noticed the wonderful new kitchens in the magazines these days? Well, maybe yours isn't like these dream kitchens yet. And maybe you can't do much about new fittings for some time. But look, there's one big improvement you can make right now. You can have a more beautiful kitchen floor, and easily, too. Just give it a coat of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. It's astonishing how beautifully bright that glow coat shine is. Glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. You just apply and let dry. Yet, in 20 minutes, you come back to find your floor gleaming and sparkling, as perhaps it never sparkled before, not even when it was new. You'll find, too, its colors are fresh and bright, its pattern sharp and clear. But Johnson's glow coat gives you more than a lovely shining floor. That tough wax film protects the surfaces, too, adds years to the life of your floors, and makes them easy to keep clean. Try it yourself, won't you? But don't forget... If it's a really bright shine you like, be sure to get only Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. One way to grow old gracefully is to cultivate a pleasant voice, a quiet manner, and a consideration for others. Another way to grow old, but not quite so gracefully, is to wait for a bus at 14th and Oak Streets in Wistful Vista, like Fibber McGee and Molly.
4: What's the matter with those doggone buses anyway? Eight of them have gone past in the other direction.
5: They must go at the end of the line and blow up. How long have we been waiting here anyway?
4: Long enough for me to think up seven pages of dirty comments to write to that bus company. You got that schedule on you?
5: They don't use a schedule on this line, dearie. They use a dream book.
4: (laughs) We just missed a bus when we got to this corner nine days ago. It was nine days ago, wasn't it?
5: Well, I don't know. It seems like I've been waiting here since I was an innocent young girl. And if I hadn't been so innocent, I never would have waited for a bus in this town.
4: The way they pack people into them is disgraceful, too. Well, it does have its advantages.
5: Well, name one.
4: Well, I was on a crowded bus last week, and I found 16 bucks in my pocket I didn't know I had. And it wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't until I got home I realized I'd been into somebody else's pocket. <laughs> and by, George, when a transit company starts forcing innocent citizens into the pickpocket business, it's time something was done.
5: That's what I always say, dearie. The buses are always too far apart, and the passengers are always too close together. Now, if I were running hey, a bus... Here
4: comes a bus, baby. I'll get set.
5: Hey! Hey, bus! Hey! I wish he'd go past again. That breeze was very refreshing.
6: (laughs) Why, that's dirty.
4: He passed us up like, I'm going to write a letter to those guys that'll blast them right off their big fat franchises. (laughs) If they call that service by George High, Wimp.
5: Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello,
4: folks. (laughs) Glad to see you're riding your bicycle, Wimp. The buses on this line were all taken away by the dog catcher. He thought they were greyhounds.
7: Service is pretty bad on this line, Mr. McGee. Mm. One of them went right past Sweetie Face last week without stopping. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife.
5: (laughs) Yeah, we know, Mr. Wimple. Uh, Did it make her angry?
7: Oh, she was just livid, Mrs. McGee. She got the number of the bus, and then she got the driver's name, and started out looking for him.
4: Mm. That situation was really fraught, Wimp. Did she ever catch up with him? Yes, I
7: think so Oh, what'd she do to him, Mr. Wimple? I don't know His body was never found
4: (laughs) That bitter half of yours has sure got a temper, hasn't she, Wimp? I hear she threw her mud pack out the window because it gave her a dirty look (laughs) (laughs)
7: Yes, (laughs) she has a temper, Mr. McGee. But Sweetie Face can be very kind, too.
5: Oh, in what way, Mr. Wimple? Well, for
7: instance, last night, she hit me with a chair.
4: What's so kind about that?
7: Why, she deliberately picked out an easy chair. (laughs) I thought that was pretty thoughtful.
5: <laughs> oh, wait till she slugs you with a love seat, Mr. Wimple. <laughs> then you'll know she really cares.
7: <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> I've got to get home now, folks. I hope you get a bus.
5: Say, wait a minute, Mr. Wimple. Aren't you afraid you'll get your trousers caught in the sprocket there? I see you don't use bicycle clips.
7: No. <laughs> I guess I just like to live dangerously, Mrs. McGee.
8: <laughs>
5: Shall we walk home, dearie, or shall we call a cab?
4: We'll stay right here and wait for a bus if it takes the rest of the day. I'm gonna shame them guys. The idea. Making a woman like you stand here with Oh,
5: McGee, here comes a bus. Wave it down, quick. Hey!
4: Oh, he's pulling over. Stop it. Fine, fine. Come on. Get over.
5: Oh, dear. It's awfully crowded, but I'm in no mood to complain. If I'm going to be a sardine, I want to be a happy sardine.
9: Stand right behind me, Molly. Stand back, mister. All right, let him out, please. Stand back, mister. Let him out.
5: My, my. What does he mean, let them out? They're packed in so tight the minute he opened the door, two of them flew across the street.
4: <laughs> well, come on, Snooky, climb on so we can get... No him. more room, folks. Take the next bus.
9: What do you mean, oh. no more room? Hey, you just let five people off. you got plenty of room. And I needed it, brother. i got to breathe, haven't I? <laughs> Not on our account, you
5: don't, you big larrikin. <laughs> Open the door, Richard.
9: Next bus is right behind me, lady. We're behind
4: schedule now. We know you're behind schedule, you rum-dum. We've been waiting here since we got out of high school. <laughs> Come on. Open that door, noisy! You'll get hurt when I start up. You open that door, or you're not starting up, Popsy. Wait, I'll show you. Oh, McGee,
5: what are you doing? Standing right in front of the bus? You'll get run over and kicked. You'll get run
4: over and killed. Yeah, and if I am, I'll sue them for every cent they ever stole from the public. (laughs) All right, bud. You open that door or I'll stand here in front of you all day long. That's
1: right. Oh, Oh, McGee, please,
5: there's a crowd gathering. Remember, I'm a lady.
9: Hey, look, Mac, I don't want any trouble with you. I got a schedule to make.
5: Get out of the way, will you? Pipe down, you big hooligan. (laughs) Deary, please, we're being conspicuous.
9: I
4: don't care how conspicuous we are. The more conspicuous, the better. I know my rights. This is a public transportation, and I'm the public. And we're tired of being pushed around. That's right, that's right. It's right.
9: okay. Right. Come on. Open up. No room. 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 Open up. No
3: room. Billy Mills in the orchestra and on the other end of a kiss.
9: be dancing in the streets, and
4: I'll donate another 20 bucks to the March of Dimes.
5: He won't move till you open that door, driver. No, if there's anything he hates, it's stubbornness.
4: <laughs> that won't get you anyplace, Lunkhead. I know your type, and there ought to be a law against letting guys like you wear caps with visors on them. You get too important. You were hired to drive people around, not push them around. ha <laughs> uh-huh.
5: You got public opinion behind you, dearie. Make the best of it. The minute you start losing ground, they'll drop you like a hot anvil.
9: <laughs> Mister, for the last time, you're going to get out of the way and let me drive this bus? Or do I come out there and twist your pointed little head off?
8: Hey! <laughs> hey!
4: Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. I'm a citizen. This is public transportation, isn't it? And I'm part of the public, isn't I?
8: Well,
9: fella, what are you going to do? Let this bus go on or stand there like a jerk? I'm only trying to do my job. Understand?
5: You just ignore the mob, Derry. They're out for blood and they don't care whose it
4: is. They don't understand. Now, look, folks, I've been a taxpayer in this town for 20 years. I've rode these buses every time I had to. <laughs> I've stuck enough dimes into that register to choke a rhinoceros, and what do I get? A door slammed in my face. If this is a sample of the service us citizens are getting, by George, I...
5: It's the police, McGee. Grow a beard, quick.
10: <laughs> <laughs> All right! All right, break it up there Get out your draft cards and give your right name Hey, hey Mahoney, it's me, Febber McGee
5: Remember us, Officer Mahoney?
10: Faith and I do now, McCushler What is your little scut of a husband doing Standing out there in front of the bus?
4: I'll tell you what I'm doing, Mahoney This beaver-toothed bozo that's jockeying this ten-ton kiddie car Slammed the door in our faces <laughs> Wouldn't let us on And I'm not going to move a step till he opens that door
10: Hmm, well, I'd better check this with the driver mm. Why didn't you let these people on, driver?
9: There wasn't any room, officer No
10: room, my clavicle Look at the back of that bus You can shoot deer in there
9: <laughs> So half of them have
10: left by now
9: We're not
5: leaving, though Not till you open that door
10: Oh, now, come, come, a You'd better let the bus go on Or I'll have to arrest you Oh, yeah? On what charge, you
4: pug-nosed bogtrotter? For obstructing traffic
5: Traffic means moving vehicles This vehicle is not moving
10: Well, um, well, wait a minute Till I think of a law that will cover the situation Drunk and disorderly? No, he's sober, the dirty little prohibitionist (laughs) flying an airplane too low over a residential district? No Murder, no, counterfeiting, no
9: Hey, officer, if I slugged him and he slugged me back Could you nail him on assault and battery? You make one pass at me, putty face And
4: I'll feed you a knuckle sandwich so yeah, fast Yeah,
9: you hold me up much longer, Mac And I'll part your hair with a tire iron
5: Ah, uh, stop it or I'll spank the both of <laughs> you
10: yes, Lay off of it, you scots If there's any such problem going on I'll take me thick and i Wait a minute Where's me nightstick? (laughs) Bless the saints, I left me nightstick at McNally's Tavern Now don't go away, I'll be
8: right
5: back Ah, maybe we better call it off, McGee He'll be back here with enough charges to throw us in the pokey for 90 years
4: He won't dare, and besides... Hello, pal, hello, Molly Oh,
5: hello, Mr. Wilcox
4: Hi, Junior What you carrying the chair around for? Demonstrating that stuff to somebody?
3: (laughs) No, I was in Kramer's drugstore when I heard about you and this bus driver. So Kramer sent Molly this chair to sit on, and I brought you some sandwiches and a couple of malted milks. Oh, Here, sit down, Molly.
5: Well, now, wasn't that thoughtful of you and Mr. Kramer? Thank
4: you so much, Mr. Wilcox. Is there an egg in my malted, Junior?
3: (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think so.
4: Doggone it! Kramer knows I always have an egg in my malt! What kind of service is this, anyway? My gosh, here I am fighting the vested interest. The transit corporation that has the city in its greedy clutches single-handed. And what do I get? A malt with no egg in it. <laughs> That's gratitude for you.
5: Now, wait a minute, dearie. You didn't order this food, you know. So stop looking to gift sandwich in the tuna fish.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry about the egg, pal. I'll remember that at supper time if you're still here. I'll be
4: here, all right. I'll even sleep here tonight if that lead-footed fender cruncher don't open that door and let us in
9: this bus. How about it, stupid? You ready to let us in? In a moose's eardrum, snake face. Mm. And I'll give you five minutes to move on, and I'll start this engine and run you down. Uh,
5: ah, yeah you will, will you, you big hooligan? You turn the key in that ignition, and my husband will climb in the wind and pin your ears back with a piston rod. Won't you, dearie?
9: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lady, if that monkey lays a pinky on this bus, or so help me, I'll come out there and kick the but junior out of it. <laughs> Oh, yeah? Why, you greasy little... Now, look, look,
3: look. Wait a minute, pal. Uh, What's
5: the matter, Mr. Wilcox? What are you going to do?
3: Look, kids, this is getting us no place. The driver looks like a reasonable guy. Let me talk to him. Go ahead, Junior. It's a free country.
4: If he gives you any lip, call me. I've tackled bigger guys than him. And while I've been licked every time, this may be the exception.
5: (laughs) What are you going to say to him, Mr. Wilcox?
9: Well, You can listen if
3: you like. Hey, uh, uh, driver...
9: Uh, I'm Harlow Wilcox. Well, don't blame me, buddy. I never been to a christening in my life.
3: <laughs> no, no. Look, I was just noticing how clean you keep the interior of this bus. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do to keep the paneling so clean and sparkling?
5: If that actor says anything but Johnson's wax, he'll really be driving a bus. <laughs>
9: Well, just between you and me, mister, I use Johnson's Wax. No! (laughs) Yeah! And whenever I get to the end of a run, like it don't look like I'm going to again for a week or two, I always give the inside of the bus a once-over with Johnson. Yeah,
3: I can understand that because... With
9: Johnson's Wax, I can keep the seats and walls and fixtures so much cleaner. You see, Johnson's wax seals the surface pores, buddy. Uh, Dust and dampness don't uh, penetrate. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite familiar I always use Johnson's wax. My wife says she always uses it at home on the floors and woodwork and everything, so I use it myself on the inside of the bus and car new on the outside. Oh, that's great. The reason I gonna try it sometime, buddy, you know, it's (laughs) great stuff. Yes, yes. Well, Well, now, get on to the Johnson's wax branch office on Oak Street. Tell them Jerry Babb sent you. Hey, hey, ain't I seen
3: you someplace before? Probably, I announced the program for Johnson's Wax
9: Yeah, 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 that's it <laughs> no. that, Yeah, that's what I seen you yeah, sure. That accounts for the resemblance Well, I'll <laughs> see you later, Wilson <laughs> Uh, Wilcox Don Wilcox? No, no, Harlow Wilcox Oh, excuse me, I got you confused with Harry Von Zell <laughs> You got me
3: confused, all right Thanks, Jerry
5: What did he say, Mr. Wilcox?
3: He uses Johnson's wax. That proves he's a sensible guy. Now, why don't you people get together?
4: I'll get together with him, all right. I'll tear his head off and jam it down his throat. You and how many Marines, doe
8: Oh,
4: dear, this is so
5: embarrassing.
4: Look at Waxy sneaking off through the crowd. He hates scenes, and anybody that played as much bum Shakespeare in Chautauqua as he did ought to. Look, I'm going to tell this guy once... If this is
5: Officer Mahoney again, I'm going home and start looking up recipes for hacksaw cookies. Stand
6: back, please. Stand back. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Let me through, please. Give the patient air. Joe, get the license number of that bus and... Molly.
5: Oh, thank goodness it's you, Dr.
6: Gamble. Who's hurt, Molly? When did the accident happen? Well,
5: it hasn't yet, doctor, but I've been expecting it momentarily ever since McGee stepped in front of that bus.
6: In front of a bus? Great Scott! Is he badly hurt... Oh, there you are <laughs> Yeah,
4: relax, belt buster <laughs> Wipe that greedy look off your face You're not going to make a
6: nickel off me today I'm in great shape If you call that baggy collection of lard a great shape, Low Bucket The kind of doctor you need is an eye doctor The shape you're in shouldn't happen to a lump of putty <laughs> Oh, is that so? And get out of the street, you silly little fracture coaxer before that bus runs you so far into the asphalt, you look like a traffic button with ears. <laughs> when I want
4: advice from you, you big powder peddler, I'll come to your office for it. And I'm not moving.
5: The driver wouldn't let us on the bus, Doctor, and after we'd waited for hours too, almost. So himself here just stepped right in front of him, and he won't let the bus move an inch.
6: Oh, great!
5: Ah,
9: uh, 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 pipe down! You're going to open that door. You're going to get out of the way.
6: I don't know about you, McGee, but I am on the sidewalk here. You
9: better take your fat friend with you, Doc. In about five minutes, I'm going to roll him out like a pie crust.
5: McGee, sweetheart, I think he means it this time. McGee, sweetheart, I think he means it this time. He looks tougher than a tax
9: return. Uh,
4: don't worry, he won't dare start that bus, I hope. Well, I'd have
9: run over you long ago, but you're just the kind of a jerk that would carry nails in your pockets to ruin my tires. And those tires cost 80 bucks apiece. Now get out of the way!
4: You see there, Molly? I I got him buffalo He's afraid of me This is not just a private argument anymore, Doc Look at that crowd behind me This is a cause This is one man standing up for the rights of the common people
11: Well, um,
6: I'd love to stay here and see Justice Triumph But I've got to get back to the hospital Got an accident case coming in there this afternoon
5: Really, Doctor?
6: Yes, a rather bad one Several fractured ribs, multiple contusions and abrasions, slight concussion, all the usual things. Gee, who is, Doc? Anyone we know? Yes, my boy. You. <laughs> what? I'll have everything ready. Don't hurry. I'll be waiting. Oh,
4: yeah, well, for your... <laughs> Come on, get
3: sing a medley of zippity doo da and Sooner or Later.
11: Zippity-Doo-Dah, Zippity-A. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine in my way. Zippity-Doo-Dah, Zip, Zip, Zippity-A. Sooner or later you're gonna be coming around. You there, I get you. You wait and see. Sooner or later, you'll want to you be hanging around. Hangin around. I'll let you. I bet you if I let you. I don't know exactly when, but sooner or later you're going to be coming around and want my and again. This is one of them zippity doo days. Now, that's the kind of day when you can't open your mouth. Without a song, jump right out of it. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine had my way. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. It is a truth. It's actual. Everything is satisfaction. Everything is Johnson's wax shell. Zippity doodah, zippity What a wonderful thing.
4: Oh, God, Molly, I've given that fat head every chance in the world to settle this thing on my own terms, haven't yes, I? Yes,
5: you have, dearie. You've asked the driver to open that door at least a thousand times. Certainly.
4: But I'll sweat him out. As long as I got this crowd behind me, I'll... Hey, where is the crowd? Where'd everybody go, Molly?
5: I don't know, dearie. They just sort of lost interest and trickled away. Uh-huh. Takes at least a few broken noses to hold a crowd like that, you know.
4: Hmm. Traitor's... You heard what I told those newspaper reporters, though. This is a fight to the finish. I'm going to bust this transit company open like a ripe watermelon. I'm going to... At it. the next time signal, the
9: time will be exactly half past. This is WVRTC, the whistle visted rapid until now transit company.
4: <laughs>
9: Don't pay any attention to him,
4: Molly. He thinks that's funny. <laughs>
5: I sort of thought so
4: myself, (laughs) dear to tell the truth Yeah, well, just ignore him like I do When I get through with you, boy, You won't be able to drive a bargain in the Bontan basement I got influence in this town I know the mayor
12: And I know that attitude It's McGee
5: Oh, McGee, it's the mayor Hello, Your Honor I'm so glad to see you Hello,
12: Molly Oh, hi, Latre Pull up a front bumper and sit down (laughs) Just happened to be passing, did you? Uh, yes, yes Police headquarters is in an uproar because they don't have an ordinance handy to arrest you on, and the bus company is threatening to sue the police force for not arresting you. Yes, I just happened to be passing, my boy. You hear that, Molly? I got this whole town over a barrel.
5: I'm beginning to feel a little like I've been in a barrel myself, going over Niagara Falls. This thing is really going... Boy, gone...
4: oh boy, oh boy. Wait till
12: you see the papers tonight, Molly.
4: I'll be all over the front pages.
12: If that driver starts that bus, you'll be all over 14th and Oak at least. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry about
4: that guy. I got him stopped like a busted clock. So I see. Yes, sir. And I'm not
12: budging an inch. Look, McGee, as mayor of this city, I'd like to see this controversy settled as soon as possible. State your case, please.
5: Well, uh, we waited a long time to get on this bus, Your Honor.
4: And this bozo slammed the door in our faces and wouldn't let us in.
5: So himself here stood in front of the bus, and I'm proud of him. I keep telling myself.
12: Uh-huh, I see. Driver, will you state your case, please? Ah, uh, sure, Your Honor. You see, the bus was full Thank of you, power. thank you, uh, thank you. It seems to me that both parties in this case have suffered sufficient discomfort and annoyance. So why don't you open the door, driver? And why don't you get in the bus, McGee? And why don't you see that he gets safely home, Molly? Please?
9: Yeah, but... Oh, well, okay. You win, mister. <laughs> but only because the mayor asked me to, only. <laughs> and anyhow, I'm an hour overtime now. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Yeah, it's
4: about time. If you'd opened that door a long time ago, we'd... No. No, sir. I won't even ride with that guy now. Let him go, Molly. We'll wait for the next bus. What? Oh no, McGee! I was standing too close to the front end. I guess. Too close for what? To read the sign. This is the Fourteenth Street bus. We want the Oak Street bus.
11: <laughs> All right, go ahead, go on. Get that
4: battleship out of the way. Here comes our bus. Oh,
5: this is ridiculous. <laughs>
3: For you. Can you think of anything that gives you more time off when you put it on? Why, sure, it's Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, of course. Put it on your kitchen floor, and you'll be surprised how much time it saves you. In fact, with glow coat, you save time in two ways. First, it's so easy to use. Just apply glow coat, then let it dry. In 20 minutes, without rubbing or buffing, your linoleum is wax-polished and really shining. Its colors bright and fresh. Then, Johnson's Glow Coat also gives you more time off because it protects your linoleum and other floors, makes them easier to keep clean. You know how things get spilled and how the children will track in dirt. Well, with regular Glow Coat protection, you don't have to keep constantly scrubbing your floors to keep them looking nice. You just wipe the surface with a damp cloth, and right away, it's sparkling clean again. Try it, but look for a really bright shine. Be sure to get Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the closing week of the annual March of Dimes, the drive for funds to fight the most vicious crippler of our children, infantile paralysis. A dime these days will buy very little of most things, but enough dimes will buy a lot of help and a lot of happiness for a lot of children.
5: A smile on the face of a youngster who knows he's at last going to be able to run and play again is an awfully goodbye for a dime. So give generously to the March of Dimes, won't you? Good night. Good night, all. <laughs>
3: This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's White Products, for home and industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. NBC, the National Broadcasting Company.
13: Over the Christmas holidays the past few years,
0: our Miss Brooks has been putting her time to good use, writing articles for the Western Quarterly Magazine. Last year, they paid her $50 for an authentic article called The Vanishing Indian. And this year, they've agreed to pay her 100 for one on The
14: Vanishing Hobo. And next year, if they make it 200 I'll do one on the vanishing schoolteacher. To make this year's article as authentic as possible, I decided to get my information from a genuine hobo. So my first problem was, where would I be most likely to find the biggest bum in town? (laughs) I decided to try the railroad yard since my principal's office was closed for the holidays.
8: (laughs) And
14: yesterday morning, my search was rewarded. I met a really loquacious tramp with whom I agreed to divide my fee for the article if he would supply the information I needed. As we walked back to my house, we made a very interesting couple. Me with my new Christmas hat and coat with patch pockets, and he with his broken-down derby and suit with patch pockets wherever you look. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
14: but my hobo still couldn't seem to get over his good fortune
0: Then you're really shelling out half a cento just to hear me spill <laughs> Boy, lady, it sure is lucky I stumble onto you Particularly since I just got in by lower berth from shy oh,
14: You rode from Chicago by lower berth?
0: Yeah, all the way Right under a Pullman car <laughs> I ride Pullmans all the time you gotta know how to use your lump of lead to land a spot like that.
14: Your lump of lead? Yeah, your head. Well, <laughs> knowing the students at Madison, I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> your vocabulary is a wee bit different from mine, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh. You know, I still don't know your name.
0: It's the Earl of Peoria. <laughs>
8: the
14: Earl of Peoria? Well, what do you hear from the Princess Margaret Rose?
0: <laughs> I just couldn't
14: resist that. You
0: should have. Nearly everybody pulls the same gay.
14: Well, here we are, Earl. This is where I live.
0: Hey. Hey, this is quite a trap you got here.
14: Oh, I don't know. In six years, I still haven't caught Mr. Bar... Uh, just a moment while I get... There. <laughs>
1: Oh, there you are, Connie. I was wondering
14: if you'd be back in time for breakfast. Oh, hello, Mrs. Davis. This is the Earl of Peoria. Hello, lady. Oh,
1: how do you do, your lordship? (laughs) (laughs) Mrs.
14: Davis, you needn't bother to curtsy.
1: All right, dear. But would it be all right if I asked the Earl a question? It's a little personal. That's
14: okay, lady. Go right ahead.
1: How's the Princess Margaret Rowe?
8: <laughs> the
14: last time the Earl was in Buckingham Palace, he forgot to inquire. Mrs. Davis, you can see by the way the Earl is dressed that he's a, a, a gentleman of the road. Yes, yeah, a hobo.
1: <laughs>
14: My, what a perfect
1: disguise.
14: Well, don't worry. Your secret is safe with me, Your Majesty.
8: Your Majesty,
14: I tell her he's a hobo, and immediately she ups the ante. <laughs>
8: Mrs. Davis,
1: he, he Maybe is... the Earl is hungry, Connie. Breakfast is on the table, and I know there's plenty for all three of us. Why not go ahead in, Your Worship?
0: <laughs> well, thanks. I won't mind a bite at that. You can cut the wood later.
14: Uh, go right in. You. We'll be with you in a minute. Thanks. Mrs. Davis, the Earl is actually a genuine hobo. Really?
1: Well, dear, no matter what his profession is, it's nice that you're getting away
14: from biologists for a change. <laughs> and I'm not seeing him to get away from Mr. Boynton. The Western Quarterly Magazine is paying me $100 for an article called The Vanishing Hobo, and I'm simply seeing the Earl to get authentic information. Now, do you understand? Of course, dear. Good. Where is he taking you on New Year's Eve? (laughs) He's not taking me anywhere. As of now, Mr. Boynton is still my New Year's Eve
1: date. Well, I thought you said he hasn't invited you yet. What if he doesn't ask you? Well,
14: then I'll have to resort to a clever little subterfuge, which we women use only in extreme emergency. What's that, dear? I'll ask him. (laughs) Anyway, I expect to see him in a little while. Walter's driving me over there to pick up his typewriter and borrow a clean shirt and tie for the Earl Oh, that reminds me, Connie
1: While you were out, Mr. Conklin called He said to tell you to come over to his house as soon as Walter picks you up He sounded as if it were a matter of life and death if you weren't there in
14: half an hour I think I'll wait an hour and be sure
8: <laughs>
14: Everything's a matter of life and death with our principal and he wants me to do something for him Doesn't he realize that these are the holidays and that we teachers have a right to some time off, just as much as... Oh, there's the back doorbell. That's probably Walter now.
1: Come in, dear. The door's open. Why is he coming in by the back door? He probably wants to stop in the kitchen and drop off the bag of food I asked him to buy.
14: Uh, Good morning, ladies. Say, I just came through your dinette. You know, there's a man eating like crazy in there with both hands. <laughs> well, go in and show him how you eat with both mouths.
8: Uh, go in and join
14: him, Walter. But say, who is he? He's the Earl of Peoria, Walter. The Earl of Peoria? Well, what does he hear from the Princess Margaret Rose?
8: <laughs> that joke
14: might easily become as
11: popular as the
14: bubonic plague. <laughs> But to forestall any further speculation as to who he is, the Earl's a tramp who's helping me with an article I've been writing called The Vanishing Hobo. Now, is everything clear? Oh, yes, ma'am. I'm glad. Where's he taking you on New Year's Eve? I wonder if this place is wired for sound. (laughs) Now, Walter, if you're ready, let's get going. I have to stop off at our principal's house before we visit Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm not going with you, Miss Brooks. Yeah, I have some errands to do for my mother, so I thought I'd let you borrow my car. Yeah, I have every confidence you are my equal as a driver. Give a pedestrian, take a pedestrian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that case, I might as well take the Earl along. That is, if your car is suitable for him. How high is the body from the ground, Walter?
1: But Connie, what difference does it make how high the car's body is?
14: Plenty. I want the Earl to be perfectly comfortable while he rides under it. <laughs> In case you're wondering whose house this is, Earl, it's my principal. Hey,
0: hey, it's not fair. Yes, sir, this is a real ice palace, isn't it?
14: Yes, that does describe the thin stuff I skate on around here. <laughs> Hey, miss Brooks Daddy's been expecting you Come on in Thanks Harriet <coughs> Daddy's in the Oh hello Hello Miss Harriet This is the Earl of Peoria Oh how do you do Your Highness Harriet You don't have to curtsy
1: Well all right Then I'll
14: Then you don't have to Kiss his hand either
1: <laughs> <laughs>
14: Ah go on Let her enjoy yourself
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well at least Could I ask the Earl A question
14: of course, it is a little personal. If it's about the Princess Margaret Rose's health, she's in bed with the gout.
1: <laughs> oh, Miss Brooks, how did
14: you know what I was going to ask? I read tea leaves. <laughs> the Earl of Peoria is a hobo, Harriet.
13: Who is at the door, Harriet? Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Huh?
6: What's that?
14: <laughs> how are you? Mr. Conklin, this is, uh, the Earl of Peoria, and you needn't bother to curtsy, sir.
15: The Earl of Peoria? Well, what do you hear from the Prince of Wales? The Prince of Wales? Oh, I really do come up with them, eh, Miss
14: Brooks? <laughs> you should have stayed down with that one. see me about something, sir? Indeed,
15: I did. Uh, Come into my den, please.
14: Daddy, if you don't need me around here anymore, I'm going to meet Cynthia Craven.
15: Lucky Cynthia. (laughs) You may go, Harriet. Follow me, Miss Brooks.
14: You don't mind waiting here alone a few minutes, Earl? Oh,
15: not at all. It's a lot safer. Now, uh, sit down, Miss Brooks. Now, tell me, just what is that hobo doing tagging along with you?
14: Well, I'm writing an article for the Western Quarterly Magazine entitled The Vanishing Hobo. And I needed authentic information, so I found the earl in the railroad yard. Does that explain everything, sir?
15: I believe it does.
14: I'm glad. What did you want to see me
15: about, Mr. Conklin? Uh, Miss Brooks, when I called this morning, I had a little errand I wanted you to perform for me. But I know how insignificant that will appear when I tell you about the reports Mr. Stone asked me to work on.
14: But, sir, didn't you explain to him that these are your holidays and there's time enough when you get back to school? I
15: did indeed, Miss Brooks. I was so persuasive, in fact, that Mr. Stone finally agreed to let me split my work half and half.
14: Half during the holidays and half after?
15: No, half for you and half for Miss Enright. (laughs)
14: But, sir, these are my holidays, too.
15: Uh, Yes, they were, worth (laughs) it. Miss Brooks, those reports will only take you a few afternoons this coming week.
14: Oh, well, I don't suppose there's any use in protesting.
15: My, you are maturing, aren't you? (laughs) Now, the other thing is quite simple. Since you have Denton's car anyway, I didn't think you'd mind dropping off three or four suits of mine at the cleaner's. My wife has taken our car up to her mother's for a few days. Oh, that's all right, sir. Fine, fine. They're on one of the chairs in the hall. I'll show you. Yeah, They're right over there on this... Miss Brooks, they're gone. My suits are missing.
14: Oh, but that's impossible, sir. They couldn't be missing. Not with the earl standing right in here guarding. Just standing right...
15: Well...
14: <laughs> standing outside guarding them. <laughs> the dirty crook stole yes. my suits. Oh, Mr. Conklin, what a horrible thing to say. Harriet probably told the Earl you wanted me to take your suits to the cleaners, and he probably carried them to the car for me. He's undoubtedly waiting in the car this very minute. Now, I'll just open the front door and show you how mistaken you are. Well? Why, the dirty crook stole Walter's car. <laughs> Well, while I was writing my article on the vanishing hobo, the hobo vanished with Mr. Conklin's suit, Walter's car, and maybe even my job. I persuaded Mr. Conklin not to call the police just yet, to show a little faith in human nature, the sort of faith I showed later that morning when I dropped into Mr. Boynton's apartment to borrow his typewriter and wait for him to ask me out on New Year's Eve. I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Finally, with the amazing insight he usually displays, Mr. Boynton asked me the question I had been expecting. What are you waiting for, Miss Brooks?
8: <laughs>
14: the baseball teams to go south for spring training. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, do you realize there's only five more days till New Year's Eve? Hmm. Well,
13: that's right, five days.
14: There's only 120 hours, 7,200 minutes. Sounds longer that way. I feel the only way to really celebrate is in some gay nightclub. Don't you agree, Mr. Boynton?
13: Not for me. They're too expensive.
14: Oh, they'll rob you blind. (laughs) Personally, I prefer an intimate little house party. A friend of mine is giving... House party? With all
13: those crazy records? The wild dancing and the indiscriminate kissing at midnight?
14: I avoid those parties like the plague. <laughs> That's why I thought I might go walking with some dear friend on New Year's Eve. You know, mix with the gay mad holiday crowds, Mr. Boynton. Hmm? Walk and mix. <laughs> mix and walk. <laughs> I did
13: that last year. Came down with an awful cold.
14: Like I say, Mr. Boynton, there's only one place to spend New Year's Eve. And I wish you'd tell me where. (coughs) Mr. Barton. what are we going to do New Year's Eve? We? Well, I'm staying home. What are you
13: doing New Year's Eve?
14: Not a thing, and thanks for the invitation. (laughs) I'll be over at 9 sharp. Oh, before I forget, I came here to borrow your typewriter. My typewriter?
13: But your friend the Earl stopped by and borrowed it for you an hour ago. I told him a few keys were stuck, but he took it anyway.
14: The Earl was here? Mm -hmm. And took your typewriter with him? Yes, my portable. With the Earl, everything is portable. (laughs) Don't worry, Mr. Boynton, I'm sure you'll get it back. Get it back? You mean he stole my typewriter?
13: Borrowed is a better word, Mr. Boynton. But suppose he never brings it back? Then stole is a better word. (laughs) No, I'm not just going to sit around, Miss Brooks. I'm calling the police at once.
14: Oh, no, please, Mr. Boynton. I, I'm sure it isn't necessary. Maybe they're calling you. <laughs> Hello?
13: Oh, yes, she's here. Miss Brooks, it's for you.
14: Oh, it must be the Earl. Hello? Look, you bring everything back, and I promise you you won't serve one day in jail. Not one day. Believe me. You do believe me, don't you?
1: Yes, Connie, I believe you. <laughs> Is that you, Mrs. Davis? Yes, dear, it's me.
14: You didn't call for any special reason, did you?
1: Well, yes. My radio is missing. <laughs> oh, no. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure, dear. I have no television set, so it must be the radio. no. <laughs> I thought you took it out to have that knob
14: fixed. No, Mrs. Davis, I didn't take it
1: Well, don't worry, dear That nice gentleman friend of yours must have stolen it then
14: (laughs) Mrs. Davis, I'm surprised that you... I thought you would show a little more faith in human nature Well,
1: I'm sorry, dear Perhaps I spoke too quickly But Connie Connie Yes? Why don't you call Fisher's Pawn Shop Just to make sure
14: No, if the Earl had been there, the pawn shop would be missing by now. (laughs) Goodbye, Mrs. Davis.
13: So he stole Mrs. Davis' radio, too. And you
14: still think he'll be back, Miss Brooks? Call it a sixth sense, Mr. Boynton. Call it a woman's intuition. Call it anything, but don't call the police. (laughs) Please?
13: Uh, All right, Miss Brooks. In order not to embarrass you, I won't. But I don't share your confidence. I'm going hunting for that crook, and when I get my hands on him, there'll be fireworks.
14: Oh, I'm sure you'll catch him before the 4th of July.
8: (laughs) He'll be back
14: soon. You'll see. Now, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I've got to break some sad news to Walter. What sad news? That the car he loaned me this morning is now getting its kicks on Route 66. (laughs) Ice cream, Walter. It's no trouble to go out to the kitchen and bring you another plate. Oh, no, no, thanks. These three quarts are plenty. <laughs> yeah, I've already been here an hour more than I expected. I might as well tell you the truth. Your car is gone. Gone? Yes, the Earl disappeared today with your car, Mr. Boynton's typewriter, Mr. Conklin's clothes, and Mrs. Davis's radio. Wow! That guy collects more stuff in a day than the Salvation Army does in a year. <laughs> Why would a friend of yours do a thing like that, Miss Brooks? A Good question, Walter, and I'm sorry you asked it. But let's not lose our heads. I have an idea how and where we might find our vagabond friends. How, Miss Brooks? Oh, I'm just itching to get my hands on that jalopy jipper. Well, operating on the theory that it takes a crook to catch a crook, or in this case, a hobo to catch a hobo, here's how I think we can find the Earl. All right, Walter, let's camp here. All right, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Gosh, you look funny in my father's old clothes. <laughs> How do I look, Walter? you like my father. <laughs>
8: now,
14: it's my own fault for asking. I was hoping I'd look like an authentic hobo. Huh, not you, Miss Brooks. But with that broken-down derby, you look a lot like the Earl. Excepting, of course, you haven't a three-day's growth of beard. I just couldn't wait for three days. <laughs> Well, let's hope my idea works. Wait a minute. I think it's working already. Look over there. Where? That man, huddled over a fire. It's him, Miss Brooks. He's wearing the same broken-down derby, torn coat, handkerchief round his neck. Yes. Yes, I think you're right, Walter. Now we'll sneak up behind him and take him by surprise. Ready? Am I? Oh, for his sake, I hope his blue cross is paid up. <laughs> let's go. All right. Tackle him, Walter. Yep. <laughs> Hold <laughs> on We got him, Miss Brooks All right, Earl, do you give up?
13: Miss Brooks, why are you sitting on my chest?
14: <laughs> Mr. Boynton. Wait, Mr. Boynton, Miss Brooks You're sitting on Mr. Boynton's chest Well, so I am <laughs> You dress like a tramp, Mr. Boynton Yes, I'm already convinced you can't afford much for New Year's Eve
13: (laughs) I might ask you and Walter the same question, Miss Brooks Why are you dressed up like
14: hobos? I can't afford much for New Year's Eve either (laughs) That is, we figured it takes a hobo to catch a hobo Well, that's exactly the way I had it figured out Miss
13: Brooks, would you do me a big favor?
14: Certainly, Mr. Boynton. What is it? Will you please get off my chest? (laughs) I am still there, aren't I? (laughs) Well, it seems we were both operating on the same theory to catch the earl, so... Miss Brooks, look. Over there, it's him. It's just who we're looking for. Where's him? I mean, who's who? Where? (laughs) behind that tree, by the open fire. Yeah, it's him. Yes, it does look like him. The broken derby, the torn coat, the handkerchief. All right, the three of us will sneak up and grab him. Ready, Mr. Boynton? Uh, not quite. Oh, that's right. I'm still on your chest. <laughs>
13: there. Have that.
8: Uh,
15: all right, now.
13: We'll sneak up behind him. And when I give the signal, we grab him. We, oui, mon capitaine. Okay, grab him!
8: <laughs> all right, Earl, we've
13: got you!
15: Miss Brooks, will you kindly remove those pointed knees from my
8: chest? Mr. Conklin, is that you?
15: No, Miss Brooks. It's Liberace.
14: But, gosh, Mr. Conklin, what are you doing in a railroad yard dressed up like a tramp?
15: If you must know, Denton, I am only a school principal by day. (laughs) By night, I have a full-time job with the railroad Toasting weenies over open fire (laughs) Now, what is the meaning of this Dastardly attack by the three of you on my person?
13: (laughs) Mr. Conklin, we had no idea it was you The way you were dressed, we thought you were the earl just why did you come here, sir? Because I dearly loved those
15: clothes Miss Brooks' decrepit raffles So callously took from me And acting on the theory It takes the crook to catch a crook
14: Hey, we all had the same idea, Mr. Conklin
15: Well, goody gumdrop
13: <laughs> Now, see here, Miss Brooks oh, Wait minute, sir Now, I, I think I really see him The Earl? Where, Mr. Oh, Bonklin? <laughs> Over there, by the tracks, bent over that little fire. Oh,
15: this time it must be the Earl. And why must it be the Earl this time, Boyden?
14: Because we've already run out of bums. <laughs> certainly looks like him, sir. Well,
15: yes, yes, it does. Same broken derby, torn coat. All right, men, follow me. When I give the signal, attack.
14: Oui, mon général. Over the top, men! Go for broke!
8: All right, we've been now,
1: world. Do you give up? Yes, Connie, I give up. (laughs) Please tell your hobo friends not to sit on me. It aggravates my (laughs) arthritis.
8: They're
1: not hoboes, Mrs. Davis. That's Mr. Boynton, Mr. Conklin, and Walter Dent. I can't help who they are. They still aggravate my heart We're
13: awfully sorry, Mrs. Davis.
1: We didn't know. Why are you dressed up like a tramp? Well, I do miss my little radio, dear. And I was hoping I'd run into your gentleman friend down here.
15: Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not wasting any more time. I'm going to the police at once.
1: I don't think that will be necessary, Osgood. There's a plainclothes detective coming toward us this minute. What? so there is.
14: In these clothes will be pinched. Well, there's nothing we can do, Miss Brooks. He sees us. Uh, officer, you must believe
15: us. We are not actually trapped. We are only people... Shut me up, your I'll
1: handle this. <laughs> now, listen, copper. You can't get a thing on us. Not a thing.
0: Copper. Lady, don't you recognize me? I'm the Earl of Peoria.
1: The
15: Earl of Peoria.
13: Soon to be known as the Duke of Alcatraz.
15: (laughs) Young man, if that's my suit you're wearing, you may consider it the suit you are about to be laid out in. Hey, let go of me, Mac. I paid for this
14: suit with my own money. Certainly. He's probably collecting unemployment insurance.
13: (laughs) I demand to know this instant, where are my clothes?
14: And my car.
13: And my typewriter.
14: And my radio. I pass. (laughs) Earl, you'd better tell these people where their things are They want to call the police
0: Miss Brooks, is that what you think of me, too? That I stole these things?
14: No, no, I don't, Earl I had a hunch you'd be back Well,
0: I'll tell you what happened You treated me so nice today I, I figured I'd do something for your pals So I took your principal's clothes to a real good tailor And I fixed up the typewriter, radio, and car I paid
15: for everything myself and bought them all back before I came down here. A very interesting explanation. And exactly where did you get the money for all those replayers, plus the new suit you're wearing?
0: The money I got was some advance dough and some work I'm doing.
14: Advance money? For
0: what? Well, you see, Miss Brooks, while you were writing an article about hobos for your magazine, I was writing an article about teachers for the Hobo News.
8: LAUGHTER
15: An article about teachers for the hobo news.
14: And if he can get a photographer down here in a hurry, they'll believe every word of it.
13: <laughs> and now, here is Eve Arden. Our Miss
9: starring Eve Arden, transcribed, was produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Arthur Ellsberg and Lou Derman.
16: For the of Hatch, Mr. is played by Gordon. Others in Ladies and gentlemen, was Jane Morgan, the secret word tonight Hannah, is Wall. W-A-L-L. A- L- 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 really?
17: You bet your life. The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marks, in you Bet Your Life a Comedy Quiz Series, produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Bravo! That's me, Groucho Marx!
16: Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples tonight. Uh, Deacon Fenneman, who's first
17: to try for the $1,500? Well, just before we went on the air, we asked if there were any young, single people present tonight who'd like to get married someday if they found the right person. And here are the two selected from our studio audience, Miss Ruth Meston and Mr. Joe Anderson. Come in here
16: and meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome, welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Ruth, uh, Meston, huh? That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how old are you, Ruth?
18: I'm 21. 21, huh? Eh?
16: Mm-hmm. Don't look at it. You look like about 20 and a half, eh? And uh, uh, Joe Anderson, is that right? That's right. Oh, how old are you, Joe? 29. 29?
18: 29. Decrepit age.
16: <laughs>
18: Where are you from, Joe? I'm from Panther Creek, Idaho, just north of Sun Valley. You're not
16: married, Joe? No. Oh, well,
18: certainly. I can't ask you how you
16: met your wife, can I? Eh? <laughs> How did you meet your wife, Joe? (laughs) I haven't. (laughs) What kind of work do you do, Joe? Well, I'm a guide, fishing and hunting guide. Oh, what kind of work do you do, uh, Ruth? Oh, I work in Woolworth's five and ten cent store. You're not married either, Ruth? No, I'm not. Suppose if you found a nice, attractive fellow, you'd be interested in him?
19: I surely would.
16: Well, look no further. Get a load of this profile.
8: (laughs)
19: Well,
16: maybe I can wait a little while longer. (laughs) (laughs) These women are all alike. I got the same answer from Grandma Moses. (laughs) How about Joe here? Would you say uh, he's a likely candidate?
19: He looks very nice.
16: You're in more of a hurry to get married now than you were a minute ago. (laughs) 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 You women are all alike. You all prefer dashing young men. Fortunately, there are women who still prefer refined elderly men. <laughs> oh, they have their good qualities too. They often have money. They're dignified. They sleep a lot during the day. And if you hide their eyeglasses, you always know where they are. <laughs> Joe, uh, would you like to get married?
11: Oh, sure.
16: Why? Well, they say you live longer. It just seems longer, Joe. <laughs> And you say you're a a guide? What sort of work do you do, specifically?
18: Well, I take parties, guests, and take them out on hunting trips and fishing trips. Where where do you do your guiding job? Up in the primitive area of Idaho.
16: Primitive area? Yes. Just how primitive is it?
18: Well, it's uh, seven million acres in the center of Idaho that doesn't have any roads through it. It's full of uh, great fishing and hunting.
16: Joe, if there aren't any roads, how do you get around up there?
18: Uh, I practically live on a horse. I see.
16: Ruth, how would you like to get married and live on a horse with Joe? (laughs) A nice three-room horse with (laughs)
8: that.
16: I'll get these two together even if they loathe each other. (laughs) Joe, as a guide in the primitive area,
18: what's the biggest thrill you ever had? Well, I think the first time I went down through the impassable canyon on the River of No Return in a rubber boat.
16: He sounds like Cucal Fran, and Ollie. <laughs> Joe, I'm afraid you spent too much time alone in the forest. What, what are you... <laughs> just, just what are you talking about?
18: Well, the middle fork of the Salmon River is in the... Now, primitive. what
16: kind of... Is that smoked salmon or is that... No, uh, the... fresh salmon. Oh. the salmon swim upstream? That's right. Well, how do they swim upstream in those little cans? I never. Did. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell
18: me about this river of
16: no return.
18: Well, we we take boat trips down through it, and the reason it's called the river of no return is uh, because no one has ever made a return trip up the river. Well, then there must be millions of people up there, huh?
16: <laughs> <laughs> if you take people up there and that's the last you ever see it?
18: Well we take them down the river. We take them down the river,
16: huh? They don't go back up. Now, Ruth, uh, uh, do you get a vacation on your job?
19: Yes, once a year.
16: I see. And, uh, Joe, what attractions does the primitive area have for honeymooners?
18: Oh, great hunting and fishing. <laughs>
16: Well, that sounds wonderful for a couple of newly married rainbow trout. But... <laughs> well, it was a pleasure to have you two on the program. And, Joe, if I ever want to go hunting, I'll drop into the five and ten and hunt for Ruth here.
8: <laughs> now, in just one
16: minute, you're going to play a bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question. But right now, I want you to pay attention to a matter of great importance. <laughs>
17: You know, friends, over the years, DeSoto has built a lot of really great cars. And this year's DeSoto is the greatest car DeSoto ever built. If you've had a ride in it, you know why. No other car, that's right, I said no other car, rides like a DeSoto. You relax in comfort on those chair-high seats, and you take even the roughest roads with ease. It's just like floating on air when you ride in the new DeSoto. And here's why. DeSoto has the sensational auraflow shock absorbers that really smooth out the worst bumps you can find. DeSoto has the famous cradled ride, where all passengers ride cradled comfortably between front and rear wheels. DeSoto has a whole host of wonderful new features that together give you the most wonderful ride it's ever been your pleasure to enjoy. That's why so many, many folks are saying, no other car rides like a DeSoto why not stop in and see it at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers? And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, the value jewel of the low-priced field.
16: All right, now let's see how you make out in the quiz. George, Uh, Mr. Fenneman,
17: would you mind explaining the rules? You bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions, and the couple that earns the most money... Gets a chance at the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show.
16: Let's see how high I can build you $20. You select the stars of hit pictures of 1950. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Fifteen. One of our finest actors had the title role in Father of the Bride. What is his name? Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy is right.
8: Well,
16: you're off to a good start. You have $35. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. Now, how much of the 35 are you going to risk? $30. $30. $30.
19: Thirty.
16: Thirty. Thirty dollars. What great yeah. Broadway star played the title role in Cyrano de Bergerac?
19: Oh, Jose Ferrer. Jose Ferrer. <laughs> we now have
16: sixty-five dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the sixty-five? Sixty. 60.
19: <sighs> okay, sixty. <You're>
16: sixty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Who starred in Harvey? Uh,
19: James Stewart.
16: Jimmy Stewart is Really on your way, you have $125. And this is your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 125
8: Okay,
16: $125. you are going to bet it all? Yeah. Joe, you may have to go back to Idaho on a salmon. <laughs> <laughs> what English actress starred opposite Stuart Granger in King Solomon's Mines? Uh, Deborah Kerr. Deborah King. Deborah
11: Thanks, and good luck from the
16: DeSoto Plymouth Dealers.
17: Groucho, because this is uh, public school week, we invited some principals to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. Robert Purdy. His partner is a housewife from the studio audience, Mrs. Elizabeth Ramish. And here they are. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx.
16: Welcome, kids, to your bet your life. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Uh, let's see now. Mr. Purdy? You're, you're the principal, huh? Eh? Yes. Uh, where are you from? Uh, Carver Junior High School in Los Angeles. You were born right in Carver Junior High School? <laughs> were you afraid you'd be late for school? <laughs> no, uh, my hometown is uh, Whitefish, Montana. Whitefish, Montana?
8: <laughs> <laughs>
16: this show sounds like an aquarium to me. <laughs> well, where are you from, Mrs. Ramesh?
19: Oh, I come from Dresden, Germany.
16: From Dresden, Germany? That's right. Oh, I used to live on the outskirts of Dresden, Germany. I was half Dresden, Germany. (laughs) Uh, How long have you been away from Dresden? Oh, since
19: 1923.
16: And what sort of work does your husband do? He's
19: a hairdresser. A hairdresser? Mm
16: Mm-hmm. That sounds like a German name, hairdresser. (laughs) That's possible. Well, how did you meet him? Did you pull the wool over his eyes?
19: No, I didn't pull the wool over his eyes. I tell you, I was a, uh, I was in this country five days and took a job as a position as a nurse to two children. We spent our vacation in Lackawaxen, Delaware River.
16: Where?
19: In Lackawaxen on the Delaware River. Oh. Well, we're
16: back and... with the fish again.
19: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, of course, couldn't go out in the evening. I had to watch the children, so I used to sit on a fire escape. One evening, all of a sudden, something scared me to death. Um...
16: (laughs) Were you waiting for this?
19: No, I wasn't waiting for this. I was just sitting there, minding my own business, watching the stars and the moon. Something flew over the fence, and it looked very much like a rag.
16: A rag flew over the fence?
19: Yeah. (laughs) And, And, um...
16: Was it the rag of the Hesperus, or just, a... it was just a plain rag? The plain rag. Yeah. That's right. Well, what happened?
19: Well, the rag had feet, and a young man stood before me, and he said, "I beg your pardon." Of course, I didn't know what he was talking about, but anyway, he stood there kind and of pleasant, and he was holding the uh, back of his pants. <laughs> he had split by getting... Uh, being thrown over the fence. Why,
16: You sweet. see, a, a donkey... spent weeks,
19: huh? Oh, no, a donkey kicked him over the fence.
16: <laughs> so? You and the donkey got married? Is that... <laughs> well, let's talk about your school, Prince. Let's see, what was the name of the school your principal of? Well, I'd better be careful with my grammar, I... Did did I spread my subjunctive? I I do think you ended your sentence with a preposition, though. I did. How did that preposition ever sneak in? How would you do it, Principal? Well, uh, of of which school are you Principal? You're confused. I'm not Principal of any school. (laughs) You are. At least that's the story you're spreading around. (laughs) And, Prince, I think you are spreading around, too. (laughs) Now, let's get back to my question. Of which school are you the principal of? <laughs> don't they nullify each other? It's Harvard Junior High School. Now, tell me, Mr. Purdy, by the way, Mr. sounds so formal. Would you mind being called Bob? No, that's all right. Are you sure you don't mind being called Bob? Oh, no, I, I kind of like it. Attention, all pupils of (laughs) Carver High. Next time you get sent down to see the principal, remember, he wants you to call him Bob. (laughs) Now, Mr. Puddy, which gives you the most trouble, students, teachers, or parents?
18: (laughs) Answering that question would give me more trouble than anything I can think of. (laughs)
16: You realize, of course, that you just split an infinitive.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
16: I certainly didn't well, expect that from you. Uh, aren't no, a I can um, say aren't that. you a little embarrassed? Yeah, well, I could say that that's becoming common English usage. Well, perhaps, Mr. Purdy, but on this show, we would prefer that you didn't split your infinitive.
8: <laughs> <laughs> you see, we have
16: many impressionable children listening, and you're setting an unforgivably poor example. <laughs> I want you to stay after the program and write 100 times on the blackboard, I am a Shlameo. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been enlightening having a principal here. It's the first time we ever had any principals on this program. <laughs> and now you're going to play your bet your life. You're on your $20 and more than our other couples, and you'll get a crack at the $1,500 question. Mr. Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won.
17: The girl from the 5 and 10 and the guide from Idaho won $250.
16: Here we go. Let's see how high can build you $20. You selected North American rivers. You ought to be pretty good at this, Bob. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you bet? Fifteen. Okay. okay.
18: Fifteen.
16: Fifteen dollars, huh? What is the name of the river that Mark Twain wrote about?
18: Mississippi. Mississippi
9: is right. Start. You have thirty-five
16: dollars, and I'm going for fifteen hundred dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty-five are you going to try?
18: He says thirty. dollars.
16: What is the name of the Alaskan river that served as a highway for the gold miners? Yukon. Yukon is right. <laughs> now, you have climbed to sixty-five dollars. How much will you bet? You have sixty to sixty-five dollars.
12: Okay. She's she says sixty.
16: What is the name of the river that separates the United States from Mexico? Rio Grande. Mm-hmm.
9: Rio Grande is correct. Come on. Now you're to $125. Hey, that must really teach
16: you something in that school you go to. Huh? <laughs> she oh. said <says> $120. <laughs> missus Ramish, if you don't let go of him, I'm, a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell that raggedy husband on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. 120 Bo- Boulder Dam forms Lake Mead, the largest man-made lake in the world. What is the name of the river that supplies the water to this lake?
8: Colorado
9: River. Colorado. Colorado River. The Colorado River
17: <laughs> and you right. You up with $245. Thanks, right and the soda climate <laughs> Well, Groucho, uh, we invited some uh, girls who work for the telephone company to our program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Gretchen Adams. Her uh, partner is a man who answered our newspaper advertisement for people with unusual stories to tell. He's Mr. Al Jennings. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Well, howdy-do and welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth
16: Dealers. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. You work for the telephone company, Miss Adam? Yes. Where are you from, uh, Gretchen? Santa Monica. And how old are you? Twenty-four.
20: Twenty-four?
16: Well, you don't look it. You look like twenty-three and a half. <laughs> Mr. Al Jennings, uh, uh, when were you born?
20: I arrived in the middle of the Civil War.
16: You mean you were <laughs> shot out of a cannon?
20: <laughs>
8: you're
16: not, uh, you're not General Grant, are you? Uh, no, I'm Stonewall Jackson. Oh. Well, <laughs> Oh, how old are you, Mr. Jennings?
20: 87 years.
16: Oh, no. You certainly don't look it. I thought you were about 23 and a half. <laughs> Apparently, you've taken very good care of yourself. I've only been shot
20: seven times. You've been
16: shot seven times?
20: I have shot once in
16: a while. Well, that makes 14 times. But where are you from, Al? I was born in Virginia. Oh, you're a son of Dixie, eh? Yes, sir. Well, the next time you see Dixie, tell her one of her old boys was asking about her. <laughs> Mr. Jennings, uh, you were chosen because you have an unusual story to tell us. Uh, just what is your occupation? Train robber. Really? <laughs> <laughs> What's unusual about that? Some of my best friends. <laughs> you're a train robber? You're not serious. Are you really a train robber? One of the best. <laughs> Al, I don't want to seem nosy, but are you still robbing trains?
20: No, I retired.
16: <laughs> Did the trains get too fast for you? The law.
8: <laughs>
16: By the way, there doesn't happen to be a reward out for you, does it? At
20: one time, there was $15,000 on my head.
16: That's certainly a curious place to keep $15,000. <laughs> Somebody might have stolen it. There are a lot of crooks around, you know, Al. Yeah. Come to think of it, Al, your face does look familiar. Haven't I seen it hanging in the post office?
20: Not for 47 years.
16: Well, that shows you how often I go to the post office. <laughs> well, let's change the conversation to a comparatively honest subject like the phone company. <laughs>
20: Where
16: do you work, Reg?
20: Associate Telephone Company, Westwood.
16: You work in Westwood? For the Associated Telephone Company? Yeah. Is that part of the bell system?
20: No, we're independent.
16: Independent. What phone company isn't?
8: <laughs>
20: <laughs>
16: Have you tried to get your bill chopped down lately? Yeah. What do you do for this outfit?
20: Oh, we take new service and complaints and change of service.
16: I heard the phone company was broke. Somebody told me it was in the hands of the receiver. Is that right? <laughs> Al, well, uh, let's hear your story. Uh, why, do you, why did you start robbing trains? Well, easier than robbing banks.
8: <laughs>
16: Ask a crooked question, you get a crooked answer. Let's put it this way. What made you decide to become an outlaw?
20: They murdered my brother.
16: They murdered your brother? Yes,
20: they shot him in the back.
16: What line of work were you doing uh, before you were a, a bank robber? I just
20: served as county attorney of Canadian County, Oklahoma.
16: Oh, you were a lawyer too. Yes, you. And that's why you decided to become a bandit. You wanted to go straight, is that it? (laughs) professions. Well, what was your biggest holdup?
20: About seventy-five thousand dollars.
18: And how did that happen?
20: Well, I had an inside information, and the money was there. From who? An honest citizen.
8: (laughs) Well,
16: how did they finally catch you? Did you uh, forget to file an income tax return? No, I was betrayed. Shut up quite a bit. Well, who betrayed you? This fellow who had tipped you off? A
20: horse thief that uh, we used to stay with the occasionally.
16: <laughs> you ran around with a fine gang. <laughs> now, what did they do to you after they caught you? Did they did they hang you?
20: No, they sent me up for the period of my natural life and five years besides.
16: <laughs> and uh, how long did you save?
20: Three years and four months. And I was commuted by McKinley through Mark Hanna, and then I was rearrested and taken to Leavenworth for five years, more, and I beat that out on rid of habeas corpus, habeas corpus.
16: I don't mind, habeas corpus is all <laughs> Well, you got off pretty easy, didn't you? Oh, fairly. Why was that? Why did you get off with such a light sentence? Why didn't well, McKinley... Uh...
20: you see, I met a good many friends in the penitentiaries, uh, men of distinction, burglars and pickpockets. <laughs> And bankers and lawyers and businessmen, they had all representatives there.
16: Didn't you hate to get out of there and leave all these fine fellows?
20: No, I really got weary of it. It's too much the same thing. There was too much stealing on the inside. I was getting my cut.
16: Now, what happened?
20: Then I got a pardon from Theodore Roosevelt.
16: You went through all the presidents, didn't you? He
20: gave me a full and free pardon.
16: Well, Al, it's been very entertaining talking to you two, and, Al, I may call on you one of these days. I can't crack open my daughter's piggy bank. (laughs) So I'll give you a buzz one day on Gretchen's telephone. Now, let's see how you two are going to make out the battle for the $1,500. You run your 20 bucks into more than our other couples. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is going to remind our listeners.
17: The girl from the 5 and 10 and the guide from Idaho are still leading with $250.
16: Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected nicknames of states. Here's your first question. How much of the $20 are you going to risk? 15 no, no, $15. $15. What state is known as the Hawkeye State? Ohio. No. One answer between you now. Oh,
20: Pennsylvania.
16: Pennsylvania. No, I, I'm sorry. It's oh. Iowa. Oh. And you must have robbed trains in Iowa. You should have known that. Remember, you're going for $1,500 a now. now, how much of the Better. five... They have five dollars. They have five dollars. How much of the five dollars you going to bet on your second question? I bet bet two and a half.
20: (laughs) Two and a half.
16: Betting two and a half. Here's a man who once had fifteen thousand dollars on his head. What state is known as the Wolverine State? Michigan is right, Al. You got in just under the wire. <laughs> you now have $7.50. Here's your third question. How much of the $7.50 are you going to try? Five. Five dollars. What state is known as the Sooner State? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Well, you're on the way again. You have $12.50. You're climbing, Al. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the 12 and a half are you going to go for? All of it. All of it. Okay. What state is known as the Cornhusker State? Talk it over. It's over. Well, I'm sorry. It's Nebraska. But well, we can't let you go away from here flat broke, Al. Have you got anything on yet? least <laughs> I want to frisk you.
8: All
16: right, we can't have anybody going away broke. I'll give you one more question, get it right, and you will win $10. Now, no help from the audience now. You ready? From what state do we get Washington apples? <laughs> Washington, Washington is Washington. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks and good luck to the DeSoto Plymouth dealers.
17: And Groucho, that means that the girl from the 5 and 10 and the hunting guide with $250 get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question.
16: just one minute, I'll ask the question, but first say something of interest to
17: everyone. It's nice to look ahead to a summer of pleasant driving, but let's look back a moment, back to winter and cold weather. Those wintry days of freezing cold and rough driving conditions were a lot harder on your car than you may realize. So now that warmer weather is here again, it's important that you get the expert attention your car needs to put it in shape for summer driving. The place to take it is at DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Here, factory-trained mechanics will give your car a thorough inspection. They'll check the entire electrical system and the chassis, including steering and brakes, and do whatever is necessary to get your car ready for summer driving. They'll tune the engine. They'll see to it that your radiator is drained and flushed. And the right oil is put in the engine. Yes, these DeSoto Plymouth dealer mechanics will do all the things that should be done to put your car in shape for thousands of miles of trouble-free, economical operation. Well, not only that, at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's, the service is prompt. The price is fair. So take your car for a spring tune-up tomorrow. Stop in where you see the familiar sign of better service. The sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here's the girl from the 5 and 10, and the hunting guide, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500
16: question. All right, here come those experts on the salmon fishing, and this will give you a chance to make a round trip on that river up there if you win all this money. For $1,500, I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully, and please, no help from the audience, here it is. On August 7th, 1782, General George Washington authorized what is now our oldest military decoration. It was originally called the Badge of Military Merit. What is this military medal? All right, what is the answer you two have decided upon? The Purple heart is right.
8: <laughs> That's
16: right. You win fifteen hundred dollars. You had the right answer, so you win one thousand five hundred dollars. And what else did they win, George? Two hundred and fifty in the quiz. That's seventeen hundred and fifty dollars. So what are you going to do with all that money? <laughs> Don't tell me you're not going
18: to get married. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll go back to Idaho and tend to my own business, and maybe she'd like to come along.
16: (laughs) Well, you really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast you bet your life. Just be sure to visit your
17: DeSoto Plymouth Folks, strike back at cancer. Give generously to the American Cancer Society's 1951 crusade. You bet your life, transcribed from Hollywood, is produced by John Goodell. Directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding.